Father, this morning we come to you. We come to you because you are our Father. Because Father, you said, Son, give me your heart. Give me your ear. This morning, Father, we come to you. We give you our heart and our ears. Speak to us. Let every day in our life be a revelation of who you are. How awesome you are. What you have done, what you are doing, and what you are preparing for all those who love you. For truly the word says, eyes haven't seen, no ears heard. We are yet to see. Yet to hear of so much of who you are. Spirit of God, I come at this time into thy hands. Let it not be a time wasted, but a time invested in the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The kingdom that is here and that is coming. I pray for open heavens. I pray for open ears and a heart that receives. Speak to us. Teach us. Encourage us. Lift us up. Edify us. Bring us closer to who you are and to your very presence. Surrender ourselves, Lord, spirit, soul, and body into thy hands. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We turn first to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. We have a, I said we have a revival meeting today, this evening. And the pastor there, I love going to that church. It's the other end of the city. But I love going to the church because of the congregation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And actually the message was for them. Because the title he asked, and the Lord told me, The image of God. So this is the very first chapter before man has fallen. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. I'll interrupt for a second. We have, I wouldn't say visitors. I would say we have my mom's best friend is here. They came all the way from Kerala. Would you please stand up? Let's... <laughs> it's Professor Epen and his wife and his son Achu and daughter Betty. <laughs> please sit down. I'm so happy you are here and even more that grateful that you came to visit mom. They both retired profs and their daughter is also teaching, lecture in a college. So, mom was very happy to see her. 
and they are my closest neighbor in Kerala. And they watch over my house in which I don't live. <laughs> so this is where it talks about man before the fall. This is how God created us. We were made in his image. In his image he made us. What it was like, the first man and the first woman, we probably would have had no clue what it was like until the Son of God came. Until he took the human form and he walked among us, we had no clue what man was originally like. But then man sinned. You know what sin is in Greek? It's the word hamartia. Means to fall short of the mark. That image. Man fell from that image of God. What we were originally created. That image of God. We fell from that. Man sinned. Adam sinned. Mommy Eve sinned. And in them we all fell. We all fell. We lost the image and the likeness of God. We still retain parts of it, but we actually fell from it. In Genesis 5 and verse 3, it says, Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness. Not God's. Every child that was born to Adam and Eve were born after they fell. So no child did their birth who was in the image of God, in whose image they were birthed. So after that, we all came with the fallen nature, the image of the fallen man, Adam. What is that image? Why is it so important? Because we are all very image conscious. We are all trying to build an image, a fallen image. Doesn't matter what we do, the image is still fallen. What is this image, the likeness of Adam? What is this image? The revelation of what that image actually is. Every child born is born not in the image of God, but in the image of Adam. The revelation comes through the Spirit of God. Through David. We know that verse, through David. When he looks back into his own life in horror of what he has done. This godly man. This man who loved God with all his heart and is actually standing there and he knows his hands have shed innocent blood. The blood of a faithful man called Uriah. He's lied, deceived, murdered, committed adultery and is looking back and said, how could I be this? This is the image of the fallen man. What does it say in Psalm 51 verse 5? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. It's got nothing to do with the mother. He's saying, this is my shape. This is my current image. This is the image of every child born into this world. The image is shaped in iniquity. Our natural propensity is towards sin and not righteousness. That's our natural propensity. You don't have to do anything to a child. Just leave it alone. It is born that way. We were not born righteous. We were born sinners. We sin because that's our nature. 
This is a huge image of every human. Where we were when God created Adam and where we are when the fall came. I'm telling you, truth of the scriptures, nothing can change that. Neither religion nor laws, the most stringent laws, the most strongest laws called Sharia, it's not going to change the man. They can restrain sin outwardly. They cannot stop sin. Neither religion nor law has the power to change who who we are. Who are we? Shaped iniquity. I would say born to sin. If we do not understand this, we will not understand salvation. We will not appreciate what Jesus did. We will not be able to sing from our heart how great thou art. What a great God. What an awesome God. The fall of man and the salvation of man. Everything is connected with who God is. The cry of the apostle is the cry of every man who tries to escape this web of sin. This trap of sin. Romans 7, 23 and 24. I see another law in my members warring against the law of mind. In my mind the old image is there. I know I am not supposed to do this. I know I am not supposed to do this. But physically I am unable to stop myself. This two laws working in my mind. I know what is good. But the good I do, no I do not do. The good I know, I do not say. The good I know, I do not speak. And then every day we say, I lost it. Bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. There are laws that are working. Laws that are working. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, that's this body is. It's a body of death. Body of death. There is a law that is working. It is called the law of sin and death. You need to understand laws. There are two kinds of laws. Laws God has ordained, which we call natural laws. You cannot change it. There are legislated laws. Traffic laws are legislated laws. Another government can come or the DCP can change it. But natural laws cannot be changed. You cannot change it. God had said, if you eat, you will die. When he said it, a law was there. It was there. The minute they ate, they died. The law came into effect. All I have to do is keep on walking. I will fall. You know why? Because that's a law. There is a law called gravity. No government in the world can legislate and change it because it is not a legislated law. It is a natural law instituted by God. So there is a law which God has instituted. The soul that sins will die. The problem is we were shaped in iniquity and born in sin. So actually we were born dead. We have this misconception in our mind. We are living and going to die. 
No, salvation is we are dying and going to love. We are not living, we are dying. We are dying. When Adam ate, mankind died. In Adam, everyone died. In Christ, everyone who believes loves. That's the truth. That's the truth. So there is this law. It's a law. You cannot change it. And the only solution is an absolutely radical new birth. New birth. And Nicodemus was actually a godly man when he realizes, when he looks at Jesus. You see, until you encounter a living person, you don't realize you are dead. Because until Jesus came into this world, it was dead men walking. And they looked at Jesus and Nicodemus comes in the night and says, what's the difference between you and me? And Jesus looks at him and says, unless you're born from above. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not. Because it cannot. It's a new birth. So there are these laws working. And the spirit of God through Apostle Paul puts it so beautifully in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the spirit of God does. When you are born again, the spirit of God takes us and puts us in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you cannot die because you overcame death. There's no other way. There is no condemnation. There is no death sentence. The ultimate condemnation, you are condemned to the gallows. You are condemned to death. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Because there are two different laws working. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me from the law of sin and death. There are two laws working. It's only one law that can overcome the other law. Like the common exam- example we use, the law of gravity can be overcome by only the law of aerodynamics. When you go into the aeroplane, the gravity is taking, it's still on the ground, but at some point, at a certain power, it takes off. What has happened? One law has overcome the other law. So the only way you and I will escape the law of sin and death is by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Nothing can religion do, nothing can law do to cancel this. It's no other way for man. That's what the Bible says. There is no other name given under the heavens for salvation other than the name of Jesus. And it is receiving a person. The Bible says, as many as who received him, his life, His work, His atonement, everything in Him, what He did into your life, He gave them the authority to be the sons and the daughters of the living God. That's salvation. It's got nothing to do with us. We cannot save ourselves. He has to save us. Because there are two laws working. This is the law of the Spirit. You know what 1 John 3, 9 says? It says, whoever has been born of God. We were born of our human parents. And the second birth, you are born of God. Does not sin. Why? Because his seed remains in him and he cannot sin. 
Because he's born of God. There are two people inside. All of us who are born again. There is one who has been born of a father and mother. That's the one outwardly you see. And there is a person who is born of God. The person who is born of God cannot sin. The one who sins is the other man. The one who is born of God cannot sin. It is impossible for that person to sin because he or she is born of God. The seed is not the human seed. It is divine seed. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 1.23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. That seed cannot be incorrupted. It cannot be corrupted because it is of God. Incorruptible seed through the word of God which lives and abides forever. I was giving an illustration in last night's Q&A. You take a seed of a big tree, any one of the large trees, you take a seed and it has happened. Okay, If you go into your terrace and this thing, you will see the doves have put seeds over there and in the crack you will see a plant growing. Supposing on a pavement in the crack a seedling of any big tree falls and it starts growing. Nobody does anything to it. If it meets the right condition and nobody touches it, allows it to grow, it will break the concrete, everything, and come up. Why? Because there was another law working in it. The law of life that broke the law of sin and death. The condition is this. The seed is there. You've been born again. The life is there. You have to allow the environment, the condition for it to grow to the fullness, as the Bible says, of Christ Jesus. You know what? At every stage you will see you're overcoming this other law of sin and death. You have to grow. And much of the struggles of people is because they refuse to grow. Not that they are not born again. They refuse to grow. Like I said yesterday, it doesn't, the thing is that everyone who enters into the kingdom of God will be perfect. There will be no imperfect people in the kingdom of God. The only thing matters is what age do you enter? Not your physical age, your spiritual age. You could be 80 years old and enter as a child and it will be a perfect child because you didn't grow. You could be 90 years old and enter in as a youth and you could be a perfect youth. Or you could be 30 years old and enter as a father and be a perfect father. Spiritual. Like I said, at the age of 40, Joseph was a father to his father and a father to his entire household, his brothers. He is taking care of them, the spiritual example. It's not whether you enter. And remember how you enter is going to determine your eternity. We put so much stress on academics and careers and distinctions and all. Okay. And Paul says that's all for a perishable crowd. It's gone. You retire and after that, it's over. It's done. Your career is over. But your career hasn't really begun. It's on the other side. And Paul says we are running for an imperishable crown. So the question is, every day we choose I set before you life and death, blessing and curses. You choose, God says. God will show us everything. He will teach us through his servants. He will teach us through his spirit. But he says, you have to choose. If you choose right, you will grow. You will grow. 
And for those who are born again, when you are born again, turn to Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29. Look at this. You need to understand from what perspective God is talking about. He's not talking from our earthly, secular perspective. He's looking from heaven and looking at our spiritual, eternal perspective. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He says, everything that is happening in your life, everything that's happening in your life, if you are my child, it is working for your good. But what is the good according to my purpose? My purpose. Not your purpose. My, he says, it is all working for your good according to my purpose. What is his purpose? What is his eternal purpose with every son and daughter? What is his purpose? The purpose is what was there in Genesis 1.27. That for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We are back to the image. That's what he's working. So that he may be the firstborn among many brethren. He says, you know what I'm working? You may say, what I'm going through, why is this happening? He says, I'm conforming you. I'm changing you. The new man, changing, changing, so that when you end up there, You'll be all like your eldest brother. Not in looks. In nature. You'll all look, look different. God is in an actual image building exercise. And you cannot fight him. Cannot fight him. That's what the Bible says. Everything. Everything. How did a 17 year old boy at the age of 40 become a father? Because of 13 years of slavery and imprisonment. Diamonds are not found on the surface. They are found in the depths of the earth. They are forged and framed under enormous pressure. Not that pressure itself will make it into a diamond, no. It's how you will respond to these pressures of life. You have to ultimately know, my God is good. And everything my father is working for my good. And this is what he is planning. This is what he is trying to do. He is changing my image. He is restoring me back to that original image. I was made in the image of God. And I fell. Now he has birthed me again. And he is conforming to the image of his son. That's what I said. Until the son came. We did not know. What God is really like. In John 1.14, the Bible says, And the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He looked at him, and that's why Jesus said, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Look at what Colossians says, 1.15. He is, what? The image. Of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. He is the image. Meaning if you want to know what God would look like as a human being. It is Jesus Christ. He says I am restoring that image in your lives. What do you want me to What are you doing with me oh Lord? I am praying for my career instead of losing my job. He says I am making you like my son. Because the career you are asking for will not make you like my son. It will make you more like the devil. So I will pick a career for you where you look more like my son and not like the other fellow. 
That's why the Bible says you ask, but you do not receive. Because you ask amiss. The image of God. We need to be very, we are so image conscious, right? Do you wake up and just come in your pajamas to church? No. You spend more time before the mirror than before the word. You probably did not spend any time in your prayer closet, but spend much time in your clothes closet. Which one? Which one? Which one? God is looking from heaven and says, which one? Which one? But God's image cannot be caught in one frame. None of your images can be caught in one frame. And every image is wrong because you are upside down or wrong side. Nobody has really seen himself or herself. Do you know that? Because when you look in the mirror, (laughs) so our image, God's image. But we have to prioritize. Priorities matter. In the multifaceted image of God, there are so many aspects. But today, we're going to look at the most important aspect, the most important aspect of God's image, because the word of God says so. Most important for us human beings, of all of God's creation, for human beings, this is the most important aspect of God's image. If you go to the most well-known scripture in the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The simple question. Why did God do all this? Because he loved. You need to understand, why is God doing everything that he does towards us? To the very act of sacrificing his own son on the cross. Why? Because God loved us and loves us. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is, God is love. For God is love. If you don't look at the, if you, if you, if you don't understand what is behind the cross, it is because God is love. And the next two verses. In this the love of God was manifested toward us. God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. God is, and God loves man. God loves man. God loves man. This is something the angels cannot understand. They cannot understand. Now you need to understand the devil's hatred for mankind. Angels fell. God didn't love them the way He loved us. 
He didn't become an angel and die as an angel to rescue the angels. No, he didn't. But when man sinned, he said, I'll become a man and I will live for them and I will die for them and I will rise up and all who believe in me will rise up with them and the devil and the demonic cannot handle that, that God loves us. It cannot be said about any other creation of God that God loves them that same way. Only man. Only man. Only man. There is, in the light of scripture, there is no record of God loving anything of his creation the same way, except man. And therefore, all those who are born of God need to look at life differently. Because unless we understand God's priorities, what is important for God, we will not understand purpose. What is God's eternal purpose? All things work for the good of those who love God. Why do you love God? We love Him because He first loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. Left to us, we would have never loved Him. It was impossible for us even to know him and love him. But he came. How did he love us? God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. And why does God love us? Because he can't help it. God is love. So the Bible says, what manner of love? What manner of love God has bestowed upon us? That we are called, we should be called what? Children of God. Statutory warning given by the Spirit of God through his Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 to 3. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains but have not love, I am. Underline that. I am nothing. Priorities. What's the most important thing in God's kingdom? It's not knowledge. It's not a faith that moves mountains. It's not to know the mysteries that are all hidden. All they have its own place. That is not what is most important. The most important is love. And he says, if you don't have it, even if you have the rest, you are nothing. And verse 13, now abide faith, hope and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You could be the smartest kid on the block, but if you don't have love, you are could have a PhD in astrophysics. But you have love? No love? You are? Nothing. Or you could be a multi-billionaire with resorts of your own, homes of your own in every unknown island. But you don't have love? You are? Nothing. You are nothing. It's important to know this to the point how Jesus himself pointed it in Matthew 22. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You want to sum the first 39 books of the Bible? Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor. Simple. Concise. 39 books of the Bible. Love God. Love your neighbor. And if you don't do, God says you are nothing. That's why for 24-7, 365 days a month, year, the devil attacks love and perverts it. For he knows if he can pervert love, he can destroy man. Devil comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. What does he steal? He takes the original so that you have no idea what the original is and substitutes with the duplicate. And you run your life on the duplicate and at the end you realize you were destroyed because you didn't know what the real thing was. That's the warning in the last days. In Matthew 24, when Jesus gives a whole list of warnings, finally he says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. So what do you need till the end to be saved? What is the only thing that can make you endure till the last moment of your life in the midst of everything that is happening? It is love. It was love. Even the church in Ephesus, Roman, the book of Revelation, who was fantastic in doctrine, discernment, labor, works, everything. But Jesus said, you have fallen somewhere from that height. If you don't come back to that, you are lost. You will not survive your age. That's why if you do not know the truth, we will fall for the false, peddled by the devil and through a thousand arms of the media. And today even more, social media, movies, internet, everything. And we swallow it. And we die. For he always comes with that same purpose. To steal, to kill, to destroy. Every time Christ comes, he comes to give life. The devil kills lives, homes, churches, nations. In First Corinthians 13 and verse 8, there is something that is written. Love never fails. This is talking about God's kind of love. It never fails. Where everything else fails. If you believe your marriage is failing, add love. It will not fail. If you believe your career is failing, add love. It will not fail. If you believe your business is failing, add love. It will not fail. Because it is written, it never fails. One necessary ingredient to add to your life that you don't end up as a failure is love. Because it never fails. There is no guarantee about faith. It's very powerful. There's no guarantee about hope. There's no guarantee for knowledge. The only guarantee that is given that will never fail is love. Because only two things are written in the Bible. God never fails. And love never fails. Because God is love. Love is not God, but God is love. 
Get these pictures, pictures. So you have to confess, proclaim and ask God. If I love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength, I will not fail. I will endure. And when the end comes, I will be an overcomer and I will stand in the presence of God without shame. I cannot fail because it is written. If I love God and I love my neighbor, so help me God. And the simple question is this. If you love God with all your heart, why will you not fail? Because the very jealousy of God will protect you. God is a jealous God. It's written in the Bible. That's a jealousy connected with love. And the very jealousy of God will protect the man or the woman. In spite of his own follies or the attacks of the enemy, God will protect him and uphold him. If you ask, look into the life of David. How did he end up so well? Because he was a man who loved God with all his heart. That's why God said, he's a man after my own heart. After my own heart. Paul in his great revelation through the Holy Spirit about the love of God. In the book of Ephesians, like I keep saying, it's an incredible, intense book. It's not like Romans, which is a doctrine, intense and doctrine about the laying down the foundation of faith, how Christ, the work of Christ. And then coming to chapter 12 and says, in the light of God's mercy, this should be our response. I beseech you, beg you, brethren, offer. But Ephesians is unbelievable. It is bringing heaven and earth together. What has God done in heaven, Christ, and what he's done on earth? And he brings it together and says, live that life here. Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 3, there's this that unbelievable revelation about the love of God. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length, the depth and the height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He says, if you want to be filled with the fullness of God, as Christ was filled with the fullness of God, there is only one way. You have to comprehend. You have to understand the breadth, the height, the depth, the width of God's love. It's a cube. He says, we have to understand in 1 John 4.16, and we will come back here. And we have known and believed the love God has for us. God is love. And he abides in love, abides in God, and God in him. You want to abide in God? You want God to abide in you? There's only one way. There's only one way. So going back to Ephesians chapter 17 and verse uh, 3 and verse 18. We may be able to comprehend. Meaning, we have to understand. Bible is full of concepts. That's why Paul, Peter's last words before he died, he wrote, was grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. We need to comprehend with all the saints, what is the width? What is the length? What is the depth? And what is the height? Of God's love. Four facets. The four-dimensional figure. Not three-dimensional. We are used to three-dimensional. But this is not that. It is four. 
We may have bits of pieces of all four or we may not have any of the four or maybe have only one four. But God says you need to capture these four facets of God's love and grow in it so that you will not fail in God's kingdom. Because you can be an absolute success in the world and an absolute total failure in God's kingdom. And you can outwardly look like a total failure in the world and be an absolute success in God's kingdom. What matters is kingdom. So the first facet, the width, the first facet. You know what is it? It is passion. It's feelings. It's emotions. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. Passion is very powerful. Nobody starts with intellect. The kids at the back have no intellect. But they have passion. When you look at a person, when you observe a person, one of the first things you notice is passion or lack of passion. The proof of passion is a relentless pursuit of something. That's why God says, do not love the world or the things of the world. Because you know what? You will become passionate about it. And you will lose your passion on things that are perishable. Those have no eternal lasting value. And you will waste your time. Like I told you, there are three things God has given us to which we are accountable. The three T's. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. Your time, your ability, and your resources. The problem is, people take all these three and put it in their passion. It is not that they are not passionate, but they are passionate for the wrong things. So you waste your years. We pray, Lord, restore the years the locusts have taken. How did the locusts eat it? You took your passion, ran out of things which was never part of God's purpose in your life. Please understand this. Why is it so important? God is very passionate about us. It has never waned in its intensity for 6,000 years. Very, very passionate. The epitome of his passion is the cross. And the second climax of his passion is the wedding of the Lamb. So the simple thing is, are you passionate? Are you after the person or possessions? God is after man. What is man after? Are you passionate about Christ? About your marriage? About your home? About your children? About your church? I'm only using things which is connected with people. God and your neighbor. In Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, I would be more, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Whose thoughts? That is passion. David is saying that, you know what, I can sense it in my spirit. You are thinking about me all the time. 
Because whatever or whoever you are passionate about is in your mind. God is very passionate. And David realized, you know what? You are more passionate about me than I am about you. God is passionate. Because your passion can be found out in your thought life. What are you thinking about even now? Your, your mind may be not be here at all. Body in the church, mind may be somewhere where you are passionate about. Just check your thought trail. Check your money trail. Check your time trail. Check your energy trails. All spend on whatever you are passionate about, even if it's sleep. What are you passionate about? Now for the next few weeks, two weeks or whatever, all the young men will be lost. They are passionate about football. The mothers will be trying to call them and they will get this message, Aapke beta Qatar mein hai. Thoda indazar Not bad to be passionate about football for a small season in your life. Then turn the passion towards God. You need to be passionate about something. Our little fellows and the little ones over there, Rihan, Levi, and all. <laughs> Worship is going on, prayer is going on, word is going on, their passion is going on. <laughs> you look at them and you know what their passion is. In itself, passion is not a bad thing. But as they grow, let them not become addicts like the Korean young boys. All gaming, 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 48 hours on drugs, gaming, 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 gaming. What is that? Passion gone wrong. It's become an addiction leading to death. We use that word, grace. He's crazy about football. Let somebody say he's crazy about his God. Because God is crazy about us. Are you crazy about God? Are you crazy about your spouse? We have to bring the neighbor in. Because that's close to the first commandment. Are you crazy about your children? Are you crazy about your career? Are you crazy about your work? What are you crazy about? Because love has passion. And the passion is always directed to people, persons. Or a purpose that is connected with God. What are you passionate about? David was passionate about God. I was glad, very glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. Passionate. The psalm is passionate. As the deer panders for the water, so my soul longs after you. Passionate. And you see in all the songs, 
The songs which are popular are all love songs. And it is all passion. I cannot live without you. My heart is broken into a thousand pieces because... But they are true. They are not lies. Because that is the way we were made. No dog goes to another dog and says, I cannot live without you. No peacock goes and tells the peahen, I cannot live without you. No creature on earth has makes a response like it because they were not made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God, so we cannot help but react like God reacts because God is passionate. Therefore, we are passionate. The question is, what are we passionate about? What are we passionate about? Is it true? That's why the angels are astounded in heaven. They're looking down and says, what is man that you're mindful of him? To see the glory of the angelic realm and then to see these human beings. And it doesn't have to be any one of us. It can be a beggar sitting on at paradise crossroads. And God is passionate about him. And Pastor Ramesh is passionate for them. That's why God puts passion in the hearts of his servants for certain sections of people. It is his passion in their hearts. Because we do not have it. What we have it for cricket and football and gaming. Not for people. Because the proof of passion is the pursuit. The proof of the passion is the pursuit. That's what I keep telling you, all young couples sitting over. You have every gadget which mankind did not have for 6,000 years. Why don't you text your wife? Why don't you call your wife? He told the church in Ephesus, remember the first love? Go back and do the things which you did in the beginning. How do you restore passion? Go back. Start texting again. Start calling again. Start spending time together with God and man again. Start. Because there is only one way to go back. It's God's way. Restore that passion. Restore. Otherwise you will die. Your marriage will die. Your spiritual life will die. Only thing that can keep it alive is God's love. It will die. Unashamed pursuit. I'll not be watching the football, but old days we all watched. You will see when their team, before the team enters, they have entered. And they have entered in the colors of their team. And some of the people have entered in the colors of the team. If you were to know, isn't it the CEO of that company? And when his team hits that goal, he is, is unashamed. Unashamed. The proof of your passion is an unashamed pursuit of that person. Don't what Hebrews 2 says? In verse 14? 2? Yeah. 2, 11 and 12. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one of which reason he is not ashamed to call brethren. 
And I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. He's saying, Jesus is saying, in the assembly in heaven, in the congregation of the angelic hosts of archangels and cherubims and seraphs, I am not ashamed to declare they are my brothers. I am passionate about them. Are we passionate about God? Sitting like this when worship is going on? Are we passionate as he is passionate about us? Are we ashamed? But in the football field, you are not ashamed. In the cricket stadium, you are not ashamed. Even in the privacy of your room when you are standing, sitting there and watching your favorite movie, you were not ashamed. So you knew where your passion was. It was not for God. Christ is not ashamed of us. It's not ashamed. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him. Do you know what he endured? He endured the cross, despising the shame. We don't understand. It's not like the pictures we see. He didn't hang there covered. He hung there naked. A 33-year-old man hanging there naked because he was passionate about us. Unashamed in his pursuit to save us. And we are ashamed of him. We are ashamed to declare his name with our lips. We are ashamed to testify. We are ashamed to witness in our classrooms and colleges about him. When he is unashamed and declares to the whole angelic host that these puny little worms, they are my brothers. They are my sisters. And I am proud of them. I am not ashamed of them. Those sinners, those ones who did all these things, he says, they are mine. I am not ashamed of them. Do we have passion? Get that back into your life for God. Lord, you are not ashamed of me. Lord, I will never be ashamed of you. Lord, I will never be ashamed of you. Despising the shame. Not he endured the cross. He was not enduring the shame. He despised the shame. Don't care, he said. I don't care, he says, if the devil and the demonic realm is mocking at me, the son of God hanging there naked. For what? These people, the ones who are shouting and screaming abuses at you, he says, I am not ashamed. Because I love them. It's no shame in love. Ask ourselves, have we loved God that way? When we quoted your spouses in the beginning, you were unashamed. What changed? What went? Passion went. The second love, facet of God's love, is not only expressing in passion, because some people have passion. They don't have the second one, which is called commitment. Passion is an expression of your emotions. Commitment is an expression of your will. Life will be full of trials and challenges. If you are single with God, if you are married with God and with one another, there will be testing, there will be trials, there will be tension, there will be time when there seems to be no passion at all. But at that time, 
what keeps you with God, keeps you together, is commitment. Are you committed in your love? Are you committed? Because a lot of people have passion, but they have no commitment. It is not that God says, I have loved you. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I am committed to you forever. It is not that I have loved you. I have committed to you in my love forever. Even if you are unfaithful, I am still faithful because I cannot deny myself. That is who I am, the true and the faithful committed one. The second facet of God's love. We have to capture this in our lives. Am I committed to God, to my home, to my church? To get people to be faithful to the church two weeks in a row is difficult. To expect people to come to church at the same time two weeks in a row. Same time, yes, if it is late. Where is your commitment? You need to ask, these are things that matter to God. God says his eyes are roaming all around the world to look for one person whose heart is stayed on him. Who's committed to him. One person. Passionate. Committed. You walk with God and you walk with one another. Because seasons will change in life. After summer, after winter comes summer, spring, then comes summer, then comes autumn. Why have been seasons put over there? It's because it reflects the seasons of man. Everything was created for man. Man was not created for them. They were created for us. So everything in the seasons reflects something about us. Seasons will come and go in life. But will you be committed? Will you stay? Committed. God is committed. And his commitment is called a covenant. When Abraham asks him in Genesis 15, you don't have to go over there. How will I know all this? He said, let us make a covenant. A blood covenant. I will not let you walk through it. I will walk alone. Because I know you. You are not committed. You are not even committed to your wife. When you went to Egypt, you told her, tell that you are my sister. I know you. But I will make a commitment with you, a covenant with you, myself. And I will walk. So that when you fail, I will die. You don't have to die. In Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 23, Paul says this through Revelation. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take it. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, take my body. You know this body you have seen for 33 years? This body was committed to you. It was for you. Partake of it. Receive that same kind of commitment into your lives. And the next, and when he had the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I'm not making a verbal covenant with you. I'm making a blood. The strongest covenant made is a blood covenant. 
I'm making a blood covenant with you. Committed. Are we committed? To him? To one another? As the body of Christ? Are we committed? It doesn't matter what seasons come. Better or worse? Sickness or health? Riches or poverty? For all of eternity, what a Moabite girl told her mother-in-law will be written. Go, why are you following me? You have no future in Israel. You are a widow, I am a widow. Go back to Moab, maybe your parents will marry you after somebody else. She said, no, where you go, I go. Where you live, I live. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. The only book in the Bible named after a Gentile. Ruth. Why is the name in the Bible? Because she had a covenanted love towards God. And only God she could see was in a bitter mother-in-law. A flickering flame of the light of Yahweh in a woman who was so bitter. But that little flicker was enough for her to covenant herself to that light and says, I will not go back to Moab. I'll go with you into Israel. And God says, that will be my grandmother. I will redeem her because I see in her heart a reflection of my love for Israel. Covenanted. Committed. David's own son has turned against him. And he has been chased out of the city. He's running out of the city. When he's leaving, people are weeping, people are crying. Along with it goes a Gittite called Ittai. He says, why are you and your men following me? You have no future with me. Go back to your own people. You know what Ittai the Gittite said? In our language, modern language, oh my dead body. Where you go? I go. Where the king lives or dies. I am with him. These are all Gentiles. Committed. This is what separates the man from the child. Children can be passionate. Children even in married children. Grown up children married can be very passionate. Goes up and down. But they are not committed. In Psalm 15 verse 4. The Bible says. In his eyes away. Okay. He okay. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. When God made a covenant with Abraham, he swore to his own hurt. When he made that covenant, he knew his son has to die and he refused to change. Hundreds and thousands of years are passing by. Israel is getting wicked, evil, demonic, going down in the pits to the point where God cannot even speak to them because there is nobody left to speak through. 400 years of silence, but God did not change because he had made a covenant to his own heart. A covenant-keeping God. Are you such a person? Job was such a person. And one day he lost everything. He lost his children. He lost everything, all his property. He was struck from head to toe with swords. He was a wreck that when his friends saw him, they couldn't recognize him. But do you know what he says? Even if you slay me, I will yet serve you. He says, I'm not in here for the blessings. I'm in here for you. 
committed. Because we live in a generation where there is a generation that is committed to nothing. And passionate about wrong things. If you look in the Bible, the greats, the Bible, they were passionate for God and they were committed to God. Passionate about God. Absolutely passionate about God. And that passion comes out of his lips. He's not sent to fight. He's sent with bread and cheese for his brothers. He comes on the 40th day, not on the first day. And he comes on the 40th day, he comes and he hears Goliath coming and says, come and challenge me. And his first response is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he dare defy the armies of the living God? His brothers mock him and said, have you come here? You fellow full of pride? Leaving our little sheep? He says, is there not a cause? So there was a cause he was passionate about. The name of Yahweh. And he goes to the king and says, I will fight. There are no warriors in your army. No great men in your army. I will fight because the name of my God is at stake. This man has insulted my God. Committed and passionate for God. He pray every day. Hallowed be thy name. He lived. As king. Goofed up the first time while bringing the ark. Second time when the ark is being brought. Boy, he couldn't hold it anymore. He just took his royal robes off and just dressed in an effort. He started dancing before the ark. Unashamedly, unrestricted in his passion for God. And the king's wife, the king's daughter looked at him and she had contempt in her heart. He said, I am not ashamed. Because I know where I came from. Do you know where you came from? We all think we came from someplace great. No, we are coming from the jaws of death and destruction. Do you know where you came from? He says, I will be unrestrained in my worship. I am not ashamed. I am committed and passionate. Committed and passionate about my God. Are we? Second Corinthians 5 and verse 14. For the love of God, Christ, compels us because we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died. The love of God, what does it do? Compels us. KJ will use the other term, constrains us. Does the love of God constrain you? Does the love of your wife constrain you? Because love brings passion, it also brings restraints. Does the love of your children compel you? Of course, if you sit till 12 in your midnight in your office, you will get a promotion. But the children are waiting. They are waiting. When is daddy coming home? When is mommy coming home? When is my husband coming home? Does it compel you? Think on these things. 
Because you need to understand when we stand before God, if we don't understand the yardsticks on which we are going to be judged, we will be deceived on that day. We are not going to be judged on our accomplishments on earth. The first yardstick God is going to judge is, did you love? Did you love? Love God. Love your neighbor. And your closest neighbor is your own home. All the fathers out here. When was the last time you took your little children out and played with them? When was the last time you took your wife out and spent 30 minutes talking to her, looking in the eye? You're so busy. For what? A career which will be rolled up and put into the dustbin of history one day and burnt when the earth is burnt. Even the world's largest church ever, Paul Young church, when he was doing well and at a point in his life, everything came to a standstill. He fasted, he prayed, he did everything. No answer from God. Then finally he cried out to God and said, Lord, why is I in a spiritual vacuum? He said, because your wife is grieving at home. Go back. Go back. Constraints. The love of God should constrain us. The love of our spouse should constrain us. The love of our children should constrain us. What are we living for? Or rather, who are we living for? What everybody has answered. I'm living for cricket. Eat, drink, creek, dream, sleep, wake up, cricket. No, what a waste. I'm pursuing my passion. Is a person or a thing? Does it have anything to do with God's eternal purpose in your life on earth? Then it's okay. You should be passionate about it. I keep telling parents, including Pastor Vijay, I said, people should never do a job they are not passionate about the most miserable existence on earth. If you choose a job, don't look at the salary. Are you passionate about it? The day I lose my passion for this, I will quit the pulpit. And I keep telling you, every mission trip where I go back to the regular circuit and then people I know, at the end of the three-day seminar, four-day seminar, I ask the pastor and say, Pastor, you saw me one year back, you saw me two years, I haven't lost my passion. should not be in something you are not passionate about. And be very sure what you are passionate about is exactly what God wants you to do so that it is counted on that day. God is passionate about people, not about things. Think on these things because right before our eyes, a generation is dying, literally, to drugs, to sex, Minds, bodies being destroyed right before our eyes. They are swallowing in the false because they haven't seen the real. Passion. Commitment. Oh, the width. The breadth, the height, the depth. 
John 15, 13, the third one. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Third component of our true love, the love of God, is sacrifice. Lay down. See, admittedly the scriptural truth. If you haven't laid down here, you cannot pick up there. Jesus laid down his life for his bride here. Therefore, he picked up his life there. Ask yourself this question. What did I lay down? Because there are people who are passionate. And people are, yes, children at the back you have to handle, okay? Please, you have to handle the children, okay? You can be passionate, committed, and have no sacrifice. Or very little sacrifice. Sacrifice means to give up something valuable for someone or for a higher cause. To lay down your life for your home, for the church, for the kingdom of God. More than me or Pastor Vijay or even my wife, the church runs on Sammy. And it's not a joke. He's there 24-7, seven days of a week. A church in India runs on a Nigerian shoulders. Why? Because he's willing to lay down. Today the broadcast was delayed by half an hour because he forgot the computer. So he rushed to get it back and connected. You mean you can't volunteer? We heard on Friday, on the day of his power, his people will be willing. They'll be volunteers. The day of the power came 2,000 years ago. It's still continuing. But there are no volunteers. So you are not willing to lay down. In your home, are you willing to lay down? You cannot take that element out. Sacrificial love. The cross is all about sacrificial love. He laid down his life. Greater love has no one than this. The greatest love is to lay down. And one day every marriage will be fixed if both people decide to lay down. Instead of picking up. And children also decide to lay down. One day at a time. One day at a time. The next coming days, all my siblings will be here from the eldest and the youngest is standing here. All in their own respective careers. Extremely successful. Extremely successful. You know why? Because of the lady who's lying in that bed sick. If you want to describe her life in one word, to a sacrifice. One word, sacrifice. More than my father, it was she. Our lives are built on her. Even now, even last night, when I come back in the night, I rush to her room, sit by her, hold her hand. She looks at me in that vacant glare. She recognizes me and then she asks, 
did you eat? She hasn't stopped asking this question all the years of my life. You can't take that out. Take that out. Your love has no meaning. It's no meaning. Yes, they will all come this week. They're coming now because they feel she's dying. But when we were small, when I was in class 8, she came down. When she was in class 9, she came down. When she was in class 10, she came down. When we were very small, my father did not come down because he was a principal. She came down. Three trains, four trains, alone to take these five children for their vacation. She came down. Now that she's in her bed, they better come down. She came. You have no idea what Indian Railways was that. It took us five days to come down from Bhutan to Kerala. Five days. And she came down. Every year. Once a year. My father bought her five saris. And when she came to the first stop in Calcutta where her two sisters were, they took three. You know why she never bought? So that her children could study. The woman you see is not the woman I know. You don't know her life. You don't know what she has gone through. You know what she went through? For her children. Today mothers with one child, one child, half a child are saying sacrifice. She with five children. And the age difference between the eldest and the youngest is only five years. And a husband who did not even have to boil water. And in a country 3,000 miles away, in that time, wanted food exactly the way his mother cooked him when he grew up. And she did. She taught. She cooked. She took care of her children. And saw that the children had an awesome education. Settled in life. What are our complaints? She had no mixing. She had no refrigerator. She had no gas. She had no pressure cooker. But 50 years ago, when she went to that country, she took the peasant and the peasant in sacks, five days there, so that her husband could have dosa and could have his coconut-filled curries. And she did it. Do we have those elements in our life? What did we lay down? Or are we only picking up? That's why David said in Second Samuel when Aruna offered him 
He said, the king said to Arana, No, I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I burn offerings to the Lord my God with that, which costs me nothing. He says, king, take it, take it all, please offer the sacrifice. He says, no, I will not take it free. I will never offer to my God anything that has not cost me. What did it cost you? To serve God. What did it cost you? To serve God. And this is David. And this has been, always has been life. Even when he's dying and he calls Solomon and he says, I have received even in these last days through the spirit all the plans for the temple, my son. This is the way you have built. And he says, my own personal treasury. This is what I have kept for the God's temple. It was a life of sacrifice. Why has for 2,000 years the gospel gone relentlessly to the ends of the world? Why? Because men and women were willing to lay down their lives. The missionaries of the past are not the missionaries of today. Those missionaries, when they left, they said goodbye to their families because they did not know that they would ever come back. Most of them did not go back. You haven't been to the places, even in India where I have been, remote, remote places in India where even today it is difficult to live and find little churches, old churches and a cemetery. And in those cemetery you will see so and so came to India, lived here, worked among us, and died here. I've been to these places. They left everything. Why? Because the love of God compelled them. I will not offer to God anything that has not cost me. And you should not offer anything to your spouse, to your children, what has not cost you. What did it cost you? What did it cost you? Get this in. Because if you want your life to be successful in God's eyes, it will cost you. There has to be passion. There has to be commitment. And there has to be this incredible element called sacrifice. I am willing to lay down. I am willing to give up. I am willing to give up. One of the most powerful stories of the Nazi Holocaust, where the Jews were slaughtered like pigs in those, what do you call it, gas chambers, or the story of that family of, I forgot their names, husband, wife, and the four children, of which the youngest one, let's call him Tommy, if I'm right, Thomas or Tommy, or whatever his name was, he was sickly. So what they did was that the families who were all healthy were sent into different, different groups to for labor, and when they come back, the first thing they do is to look, look, look around, and then they all hold God, and thank God, Lord, we all are still alive. Every night it was the same ritual, this thing. Oh, we are alive, we are alive, thanking God. Then one day, they were always worried about little Tommy because he was sickly, and so they knew the Nazis would take him first because he's a burden. You know what happened? One day when they came back, they couldn't find Tommy. And the father said, where is Tommy? Where is Tommy? 
And the other three children were there. And then he said, where is mommy? And the daughter was crying. She said, they were coming to take Tommy. And Tommy was afraid. So Tommy said, mommy, I'm afraid to die. She said, don't be afraid. I will come with you. And mommy went with Tommy. And both haven't come back. That day the mother died with the son. Because the son was afraid of death. Where will we stand before God in presence of people like that? Where will we stand? This is who God is. We cannot be less aim for something lesser than that because the word of God says as he is, so we are on earth. That's why John 3.16 is the most well-known scripture and parallel to his 1 John 3.16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Lay down. Not pick up. Lay down. The width, the length, the depth, the heights of his love. The passionate, committed, sacrificial love of God. And there is the fourth element. Don't let it miss. Psalm 16 and verse 1, 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand. Oh, I thought at his right hand was Jesus. But what is at your right hand? Pleasures forevermore. In love there is passion, there is commitment, there is sacrifice. What we missed is the joy and the pleasure element. Simple words, fun. Happiness. The gratification, the delight part. I'm trying to describe the love of God in terms we understand. Is your walk with God boring? Is your home boring? The secular world understands it. That's why they have outings for your companies. Because they know the happier you are, the more productive you bring. Of course, their thing is commercial. But they have understood the truth. Joy and laughter. Open your mouth and I shall fill it with good things. Do you know the Bible says God laughs? It's not like all the pain Jesus was always grim. He's not grim. He always laughed. And the Bible actually says in Proverbs 17 and verse 22, a merry heart does good like medicine. should laugh a lot. In your home. In your church. And we give you every Sunday evening. Go eat and be merry.
But my question to you all, young couples with so many children, not so many children, so many children as a whole. What will the, what will be the memories your children will take when they grow up and go of your home? What will they? Home was a fun place. Every memory of my childhood was fun. Academically, we did very well because home was fun. Home was fun. You have to, one day, you have to sit with me and see the pictures of the 1960s, 70s, black and white pictures. You'll be shocked. In a land where there is no TV, None in the family knows how to play a musical instrument. It is like the prodigal son's house when he comes back. There's always singing and dancing in the evening. Almost every night when we five were together. And you will see my father with something tied around his head with two amul milk tins. Because there's no drum. Nobody knows how to play that. And the sisters have to wear the jangles and the men have to be dressed. Seven Malayalis Dressed as Nepalese and singing and dancing. Life, it was really fun. Morning, the only thing to wake me up, there is no wind. Do you want to play badminton? It doesn't matter what the time was, four, five, you are up and gone. Let me tell you, academically, we didn't do that at all. None of us. But home was a real happy place. Lots and lots. People will ask me, where did you get your sense of humor from? From my father. It was a happy place. You see, you can have everything in love if you miss this fourth element. Still will be dreary. It will be dreary. Do you know that term called the joy of salvation? Or is it only salvation? David has lost that. He used to be dancing and singing. He's least bothered what people think. His wife thinks. He doesn't bother. I am king. I just have to have fun with God. And now the joy is gone. He said, Lord, I want to dance like before. Please restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You know why we buy our children so many toys today? Because we don't have the guts to give our time to them. My father and my mother did not buy me toys. They gave me themselves. Every game I know how to play till today, he taught me. Badminton, football, chess, cards, everything he taught me. They were hands-on parents and they were busy. Are you hands-on parents? Is there there that fun part in your life? 
where children can always say, okay, you know, home is really fun. They don't need too many things. We had no things in our house. What do you, what do you expect in 1970s? What do you expect? When I got my first tricycle, it was a sensation in that town. The only tricycle. Every student in the school wanted to take a ride in it till the wheels came off. <laughs> think. We think our children need things. They don't need things. We didn't think about things. We didn't think about toys. We didn't think about clothes. We thought about home. That's why when they dropped me into Kerala, it was like disaster hit me and every year you are waiting for to go back and to go back and to go back but you are too small and who came to take you? She came to take us. And this was the problem the Pharisees had with Jesus. Matthew 9, 11. When the Pharisees saw it, they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Other translations will use prostitutes. Did you see him? He's always sitting and joking with them. How can he do that? Luke 15 and verse 25, 26. Now his older son was in the field. He's an actual Pharisee here, okay? And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard. He heard? Uh-huh. Stop. I'm not going inside. I've never factored this in the love of the father. Music and dancing. Only fasting and praying. And he called them out and said, what is happening inside? What's happening inside? Jesus is just giving you a picture of what happens in heaven every time a sinner is saved. There is music and dancing. Music like we have never heard and dancing like we have never seen. The joy of a child coming home. There's a lot of fun. Open your mouth wide. I will fill it with good things. But we have to balance this. With children you have to balance it. But it cannot be without pleasure. It will ruin their lives. It always have to be factored in. Let me tell this. For all those who came for the retreat, that three days was the best three days of this year, right? Yes. See? What, else, what did you do? Had fun. Hmm? All singing through the night, singing, singing in groups. What happened? What happened? You forgot the messages. <laughs> you don't remember the menu. But the only thing, if you ask, what did you, oh, it was so much fun. Right? How do you think the kingdom of God is boring? His right hand there are evermore. In a body, you can never tire. You won't spit. You won't sweat. And your breeches won't split. If you dance. You can do your splits there without worrying. You think you have seen dancing. You haven't seen dancing yet. I haven't see, seen or ears heard what music and dancing is like. Heaven is a fun place. Bring a slice of it into your home. 
into the church, into our lives, crack jokes at your dining table. It will not be a very serious conversation. No, you don't need that. Jokes are permitted at the dining table. Like I told you, and the children remember that very well. Remember? Breakfast, there is no time. Rush to office school. Lunch, nobody is there. Supper is a long meal. That's why it's called the Lord's Supper and not the Lord's Breakfast. It's a long meal. It should be a long meal. Don't have to rush unless there's an emergency. You don't have anywhere to go. And throw this thing off. Put that away. Who is calling you? (laughs) Wife is here. Children are here. Who is calling you? Let life, let your children remember. Let your children remember. The home was a good place. We didn't have too many things. We didn't have great luxuries. But home was a happy place. Okay, home was a happy place. There is passion in love. There is commitment in love. There is sacrifice in love. And there is pleasure in love. And God is love. So go back to Ephesians 3, 18, 17. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith and you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Did you see that? I want the worship team to come. When people are happy, they sing. I whistle, others sing. Come worship team, the whole worship team, come. Everybody, who was there? Come, come, come. I want to sing the last song. The last song we sang today? Yes. Only when we start seeing different facets of who God is, we will understand how great He is. I'm telling you, angels every day are astounded by the love of God for man. They still can't figure this out. <laughs> the glory of an angel. The might of an angel. One angel can kill 130,000 soldiers in one night. The power of an angel. The glory of an angel. <laughs> you look at them and then look at us. Look at us. I remember the story of a pastor as they're getting ready. This pastor was in Chennai, long time back. This pastor was driving to his office. And as he was driving to the office, there was this beggar lying on the side of the road. And the Spirit of God said, stop and go to and talk to him. And he says, Lord, I'm already late. 
And the spirit said, stop and go talk to him. So he stopped on the side, went to the beggar, and he ministered to him. And the beggar, with tears running down his eyes, he received Jesus and he prayed with him, thanked him, and he gave him some money and said, when I come back in the evening, I'll see you again. But evening, when he was coming back, he went to there and he saw a small crowd of people and he looked over there and see the beggar had died and gone home. How great is our God. If your heart is born on man, your spirit will be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You will be sensitive. Because God is not interested in things. He's interested in man. That's why God says, do not love this world or the things of this world. If you do, what will not be in you? The love of the Father. Without the love of the Father, do you know what we are? Nothing. We may have everything else in this world, but without the love of the Father in us, we are nothing. But we have the love of God. And we don't know mysteries. We don't know knowledge. We don't prophesy. We don't speak in tongues. You are still everything. I'm not saying you don't have to need other things. But not at the cost of what is important to God. So this morning, we will sing. How great the art. The splendor of a king Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice Let all the earth rejoice He wraps himself in life And darkness rises at his voice trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all would see how great how great is our God
See the heart of the Father in Jesus. Jesus about whom it is written. Early in the morning when it was still dark. He would rise. Go to a solitary place to pray. That's how his day began. Early in the morning when it was still dark. This King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that same Lord would walk all through the day in the under the hot sun to meet one delinquent child of God a Samaritan woman who was married and divorced five times and now living with the sixth one she could never go to him so he came to her the father the everlasting father in the son looking for his lost child. That is who Jesus was. The man crippled 38 years lying by the pool at Bethsaida. 38 years he had been waiting. But always somebody got into the pool before him when the angel came and stirred the waters. His hope was dying. His faith was wavering. And then Jesus came. He looked him in the eye and asked him, Do you want to be made whole? He didn't even know who it was. But God knows who you are. Jesus was tired, worn out, would fall asleep in the midst of a storm. But he's braving the storm and catching a catnap for a demon possessed man on the other side who lived among the tombs who broke chains. Passionate love of God. The 
committed love of God. The sacrificial love of God. Yet in his love there was joy. It didn't matter how long the day was. It didn't matter how tired he was at the end of the day. When the parents brought the children, the disciples stopped them. Said, do not trouble the master. He said, stop. Do not stop the children from coming to me. The king of kings, the lord of lords, the author of our salvation at the end of a tired day still had time for the children. The word of God says he took them in his arms. And he blessed them. Today make a decision. I'll have time for my children. I will have time for my family. I don't want to pursue a career at the cost of my family. The reason I have a job is for my family. God. Family. And the family of God. Get your priorities in order. Be passionate about it. Be committed to it. Be sacrificial in it. Lay down your life. Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at the other. Don't demand. Because the minute you demand or threaten, love goes out of the window. Because love can exist only where it is free. And where the Spirit of God is Lord, there is liberty. After everything God has done, He doesn't demand. He says in the light of God's mercies, I beg you brethren, the Spirit of God through His servant begs us, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. He's not demanding. If the God of the universe does not demand from us, husbands and wives, don't demand. Offer. 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 Lay down. Don't pick up. There are too many in this world who are just picking up. God needs a few who will lay down. At the end of his life, before he can talk about the crown of righteousness that waits for him, he says, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. Apostle Paul, when did it start? He said, on the road to Damascus, when I saw my Savior, I laid down my life. I have never picked it up after that. And now it has come to the last moments of my life. When I look back, I know I left nothing out for him or his people. Therefore, he would pick up the crown of righteousness on the other side because he had laid down husbands and wives. Fathers and mothers, employees and employers, wherever you are, placed by God, lay down. Lay down. Because that is who God is. That's why He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. It is blessed to receive, but it is more blessed to give. End up in eternity as a giver. Takers are miserable. Givers are always happy. Because for when they give, there is an outflow from heaven into their lives. 
the increasing measure every day. The four facets of the love of God that you have heard. It doesn't start tomorrow. It starts today. With God it's always today. Today if you hear my voice, God says, do not harden your heart. Today. Today. Father, this morning we stand before thee. We thank you for your mercy. Because every time we hear your word, we know how far we have fallen short. Most of the time, most of the day, we are takers. But you are a giver. To you it didn't matter. Nicodemus could come in the night. You were ready. Give him time. Samaritan woman, you would go all the way to meet her. You are always willing. Roman centurion says, my servant, he says, let us go. Pray, Father, we will value the time you have given us. The ability, the talents you have given us. The resources, the treasure that we have given us. So that one day we can look back at the end and say, Lord, all that you gave me, I have given it over serving you and your people. Lord, my time has run out. My energy is depleted. My pockets are empty. All I had, I have given, Lord. I came with my hands empty. I'm coming back to you with my hands empty. Everything that you gave, given over for the King, for His glory, for His kingdom, for His saints. And the Lord says, I will not forget your labor of love. You have extended to my saints. Refresh your people today. Strengthen your people today. Let there be a cutting away of the flesh today by the Spirit of God. And a renewing of the inner man by the Spirit of God for the things of God. For the purpose of God. For the priorities of God. And not of flesh. Baptize us with your fire that everything that is not of you be burned away from us, O Lord. That what remains is of you, for you and unto you, O Lord. For we love you. For no one, no one has loved us the way you have loved us. We love you. We love you. We love you. Nothing you ask us is too little or too big. Oh, what manner of love that God has bestowed upon us that we are called the children of the living God. We love you this morning. 
Bless your people. Meet your people at their point of need. Healing for those who are infirm. Peace for those who are restless. Strength for those who are weak. Resources for those who lack. For you are our everything. Besides you, we need nothing. Meet us, Lord. Meet us. Help us to be like you. Now by faith, believing the Spirit, the blood, the faith, and the Word has sanctified us. We lift up holy hands in your presence and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we declare, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have good, fun-filled fellowship.